This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits. I'm joined by EPFR's economist Cameron Brandt and our colleague Kirsten Longbottom. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, Kirsten, good morning. How are you both doing at the uh, unofficial end of summer? Well, I'm staring in bemusement at uh, how our flows are behaving in the faces of you know plenty of reasons to behave otherwise. Uh, and I believe Kirsten, as we said uh, a minute ago, uh, is right where the social action is really hotting up uh, in the U.S., plus a hurricane, I gather, brushed by her. Yeah, not too much affected by the hurricane, but um, we did get, you know, a little bit of rainfall here in Texas and in the headlines for sure. (laughs) It seems like despite a lot of the headlines we're seeing globally with various Issues arising, obviously, with the pandemic and and different geopolitical concerns globally, money keeps coming into equity funds. Cam, is this expected? Are you surprised by this? Uh, what's your take on the equity fund inflows we continue to see? Well, I'm definitely uh, it has definitely caught my attention. Uh, the equity funds that we track are, are very close, uh, and this is with the four months of the year remaining. Uh, to uh, a year-to-date total, which would be double their full-year record uh, for inflows set back in 2013. Um, And it does seem as if um, investors are very clearly tuning out a lot of stuff that in more normal times you would expect them to respond to in terms of perhaps getting out of some fund groups, rotating some exposure, um, and focusing, on, frankly, on, on, the, on, on the two positives that are out there, and they're positives that I think most of them still understand. One is that earnings have been particularly good, uh, especially through the earnings season we're sort of winding down. Um, and central banks have reliably um, sprung to the pumps whenever there's sort of any real economic stress. Uh, so that is still something, it seems, that uh, certainly mutual fund investors are, are willing to take to the bank. Um, but it does, to my mind, raise the question of whether we are getting set up for a fairly heroic correction at some point this fall. Uh, given the, the range of what would normally be called quite serious headwinds, uh, the, the uh, unresolved question of how the COVID-19 Delta variant spike will play out, um, signals uh, certainly from the Fed that there's going to be some kind of tapering later this year, uh, much changed um, geopolitical situation. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, uh, with the oil routes again in play, 
China's uh, aggressive regulatory crackdown on two of its key sectors, uh, which feeds into already established concerns about quite how strong and how sustained global growth will be going into next year, um, you know, all would argue for perhaps somewhat less ebullient flows than the ones we've been seeing into uh, the equity fund groups that we track. So we'll talk about the Fed in a couple minutes, but uh, do you envision that any action from them uh, around tapering would trigger this correction or is that already baked in at this point yeah well i think i think the fed the fed's uh, degree of tapering is baked in and in fact i would say that um given where inflation is and even if you believe it's transitory those that uh are of that opinion are tending to qualify the the opinion with the view that it will be the the transitory period will perhaps be a little longer and and at a higher level than they were hoping um but given that if the Fed doesn't do a little bit of tapering, tightening of the margin uh, this year, uh, it may stray back into the the, uh, the 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 area of credit, you know, having its credibility questioned, which has certainly been a factor this year. Uh, inflation uh, has definitely taken some of <laughs> their their gloss off. Um, uh, just by its you know, the degree to which it surged, um, uh, so um, you know a long-winded way of saying yes. I think that markets have priced in and indeed perhaps hope for a, a little gentle tightening at the margin. So, Kirsten, I know this week you took a look at. Uh, utility funds uh, and a little bit of a, an interesting uh, view. So in, in a week where we've seen uh, pretty severe flooding on in the East Coast, and obviously uh, what our, some of our colleagues are going through with drought and wildfires uh, out west near Tahoe and, and, and along the West Coast, uh, we're seeing a little bit of uh, action with water funds. Can you explain? Yeah, of course. Um, so water funds are um, have a common goal of creating innovative solutions to ensure water security. Um, so they have posted nine weeks of inflows out of the past 10. Um, and so they definitely are up and coming, I would say. So while in the, the West, they are facing water scarcity, and that is fueled mainly by climate change. Um, many states are implementing water restrictions to kind of combat with those drought emergencies. And the Colorado Lake Powell Reservoir was at its lowest level in history. Um, and that supplies about seven states with water. Um, so we're definitely seeing more interest in water funds. No, and and just to carry Kristen's thoughts on, um, while it, we're sort of looking at it from a U.S. perspective, uh, it, it's an issue that's far broader. Um, Drought uh, is really hitting Brazil, uh, large swathes of Africa. Um, in Asia, the opposite is happening. It has been an unusually wet year, but uh, that has implications for water supply too. Um, 
So there's a combination of, of scarcity um, and and growing populations in underserved areas that uh, is making people really focus on this. There's also, I think, a little bit of hope that uh, some of the uh, ESG money that is, is is coming out of public coffers and indeed from uh, uh, from from sort of the financial industry will make its way into this particular segment. Is this the is this the specialization of ESG that we've kind of been waiting for where it's a direct uh, issue that we're seeing in the market and this is the frankly free markets approach to how to start solving some of those issues? It certainly could be. Um, you know, there's a, there is a lot of work going on on you know how to maximize and use more efficiently uh, available water supplies, and um, yeah, you you would hope that uh, fund managers would focus in on on the ones with the greatest uh, uh, prospects for success, uh, thereby rewarding positive innovation. Um, you know, it will obviously take a while to play out. One of the recurring issues with ESG investments is that the money goes in, but the result could be many years in the making. But uh, I would I would agree with that assessment that this is sort of an area where there's sort of some real hope that uh, uh, ESG investing will uh, encourage. Uh, positive market dynamics. So we mentioned uh, Fed Chair Powell's Jackson Hole speech uh, briefly in passing. Do we see any movement in the bond market after uh, he went public with those comments uh, in Jackson Hole? Um, you know, apart from uh, flows again, kind of pulling back from the longer duration uh, bond fund groups, uh, really not. Um, uh, we opened this podcast <laughs> with some discussion of how uh, resilient uh, flows to equity funds have been despite um, many things out there that might make you think it would be otherwise. The same to some degree is true of bond funds. I mean, in addition to Powell, you know, in, in superbly opaque language saying that the, he expects the Fed to start some dialing back of its bond purchases. Um, you know, the uh, debt ceiling fight is beginning to bite in, in the U.S. Uh, and certainly, uh, given the polarization, could get quite ugly. But um, you know, another uh, 12 billion or so rolled into the bond funds that we track. Uh, around 8 billion of that went to U.S. bond funds. Um, so, uh, um, again, and it may have something to do with the feeling that you know none of the alternatives are that attractive. Um, uh, the bond funds we track continue to receive steady flows despite a number of things on the horizon that certainly bear watching. So what are you and the team going to be looking at in this upcoming week post Labor Day? Well, as I said, Kirsten will be working with one of the quant team to sort of flesh out and give a quantitative angle to this surge in interest in water funds. Um, we will be taking uh, a closer look at sort of inflation dynamics. There's uh, going to be some fairly important head headline numbers coming out of Europe uh, and the U.S. 
uh, in the com- coming days. Um, and uh, we'll also be focusing a bit more on money market funds, uh, the debt ceiling fight that I mentioned, and 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 uh, the fact that uh, yields are so low is putting a lot of stress on that particular industry. Um, and it is an important cog in the financial machinery. So uh, it, it is something that uh, bears a bit more study. Great. Hope you all enjoy uh, the unofficial start of fall, and we'll talk next week. Good. We will. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.